0: hello (laughs) hello (laughs) the mother mystery podcast this is where we're going to talk about strange mysteries and i try to make you laugh so grab a glass of wine and get cozy hey guys I know it's been a hot fucking minute. I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry to all five of my listeners for taking so long to grace you again with another episode. Life gets hard. Life has been so hard. So anyway, cheers. What have you guys been up to? I hope that you're getting ready for Thanksgiving and, more importantly, Christmas. I have decorated for Christmas. I haven't changed my outside yet because I do love my front door being fall decored out, but I think that's probably going to happen this weekend. I just hate wasting pumpkins you get all these pumpkins you set them up so nice they look so great and then you just throw them across the road which that's what we do with ours every year and my husband um, saw over there a couple weeks ago a couple months ago that we are like growing pumpkins now so maybe in a couple however long it takes we'll have some pumpkins since I've been gone my house has been hit with a cold a stomach bug My three-year-old was just throwing up left and right. Peeing out of his butt. It's been, it was rough. And then, also, the ceiling in my kitchen fell. Literally fell to the ground. Um, like, right, well, no, like a couple weeks before Halloween. And that motherfucker just got done. And I can't tell you how Stressful, it is, especially when you have two kids and you and your husband work and you don't have a kitchen. My dining room was in my living room, my coffee maker was in my bathroom, my microwave was in the living room. It was a nightmare and it's over and now I'm just so excited and now I have Christmas decorations up and we went and got a Christmas tree um, last weekend and... So now I'm just vibing out with all that Christmas except my front porch. Okay, so you know what to do now. Just go to Instagram, find that mother mystery page, and follow me there. And go to Facebook, find the Far Out Gaming page, and that's where you'll find my husband. And you won't regret either of those choices, I promise. I'm thinking about making a TikTok too, a mother mystery TikTok, putting all of my intro videos in there. I think that'd be a good idea. What else i wanted to tell you guys so much i'm just out on you want to know what though my bff surprised me with a girls night a couple weekends ago and it was exactly what i needed and you know you got a good bff when they know that you need that shit. and she surprised me with a full-on hotel and all of my friends came not all of them a couple of them but that's okay <laughs> yeah it was it was a lot of fun, and I danced my little bottom off. That's what you need sometimes just to go dance. I didn't care who was looking at me, whose way I was in. Mm-mm. we were just free as a little bird out there. My new job has been really good. I'm feeling really confident about what I'm doing. Now, not what I'm doing, but how I'm doing it, I guess. And I feel like I'm just... Everything's really falling together. That's a great way to start 2023. And I get to do it every day. How awesome is that? So... Oh, also... Another reason it's been a few weeks since um, a new episode has come out, me and my BFF Beck (laughs) try. recorded an episode a couple weeks ago it was right after halloween and i just got around to listening to it and we're gonna have to do that again because it's not good it wasn't good the vibes just weren't there for me so we'll redo it and you'll get a special guest episode and it it's gonna be great the second time around so why don't we just get into the motherfucking mystery We're in Springfield, Missouri. It's May 1992, and it's graduation day for Stacy McCall. She's 18 years old, and Susie Streeter. She's 19 years old. And they've been BFFs for a long time. They're both outgoing, beautiful, and fun, and they had plans that night. Okay, girls, it's graduation night. They're about to go to a hotel party, and then the next day, their class had planned a day at a water park close by. That sounds so fun. My class didn't plan shit, okay? Would I have went if they did? Probably not. Anyways, the girls were going to do this, the um hotel party, but at the last minute, they decided to ditch the hotel, but they did want to stay at their friend Janelle's house. So Stacy calls her mom. It's about 10 p.m., and she tells them, you know, we're not going to the hotel, but we're going to go spend the night at Janelle's. And then we'll go to the water park tomorrow. So her mom says, cool, call me tomorrow. So they end up going to party at Janelle's. And around 2 a.m., they decided to go to bed because they have to wake up early. And Janelle had a lot of family members there, I guess, to visit for graduation. And they were like, well, there's no room for your friends, Janelle. So... They're like, okay, well, we'll just go back to Susie's house. They tell Janelle they're leaving, but they would be back in the morning to pick her up to go to the water park. So Susie's mom is Cheryl, and they recently moved there after Cheryl and Susie's dad's divorce. So they're still settling in. Cheryl's a hairstylist. We love that. Janelle calls The next morning, there's no answer. She had been waiting on them to pick her up. She's thinking maybe they slept in after a late night. She's honestly probably like, hello, I'm fucking waiting on y'all, and I'm ready to get on to this pool party, water park, party, party, party. Let's get this party started. Janelle and her boyfriend decide to go to Susie's house when they don't answer, and it's around 9 a.m. when they get there. All three of the cars are there, Susie, Stacy's, and mom, Cheryl. And you have to remember, there's no cell phones. It's 1992. Can you remember what that's... Well, I was born in 1993, so I don't remember, but I remember, you know, a time where you can't just text your friend or call your friend or even follow them on a fucking map and get alerts to where they are. That's... It's a creepy world. Um, But even creepier... (coughs) Even creepier without a cell phone... Anyway, the front porch light is broken. There's glass on the ground. Um, Actually, like the globe around the light bulb was broken, but the light bulb was still in there. (coughs) Sorry. The light bulb was still there. The globe around the light bulb, like the little light fixture thing, was what was broken and shattered on the ground. Weird. Janelle wasn't wearing shoes, so her boyfriend somehow sweeps up the glass thank you, boyfriend. I I know that he didn't know that it was a crime scene at the time, but and that's nice. It's nice. It was a nice thing to do. We won't discredit him for that. Okay. But where did the broom come from? I don't know. It was like sitting on the side, something. So anyway, they're knocking at the door. There's no answer, but the door was unlocked. So they go in. They're calling for them. Stacy, Susie, where the fuck you bitches at? And no one answers. The house is quiet. The TV is on and it's on like the white static fuzz noise, like the ring. So creepy. The dog Cinnamon comes in and he's like jumping around looking kind of anxious and they just felt like something was off they see all three of the women's purses, some jewelry and makeup laying around. She thinks maybe they went ahead and went to the water park. Meanwhile, her boyfriend is like straightening up around the house. I don't I don't get this, but he's just helping himself. And it's a part of the story everywhere you look. He's just starting to tidy up. He thought the place was a mess. So, I don't know what this was, like picking up cans, picking up trash. Washing dishes, vacuuming. There's no details, but he was just tidying up, okay? They're about to walk out the door to just go ahead and go to the water park. Maybe the girls are there already, but the house phone rings. Can you imagine? This is like a scary movie scene and also begs the question: Would you answer the phone? You're in this house, it's abandoned, you can't find your friends, the white noise is on the TV and the phone rings but maybe she thought okay it might be one of the girls trying to read i don't know they wouldn't have known that she was there i don't know anyway she does answer and this is wild it's a man like breathing heavily he's saying sexual things like real obscene sexual innuendos she hangs up because, ooh, and then the phone rings again. She answers, and it's a man again saying the same kind of shit. So she hangs up. Okay, looking at this case, I was like, I need to find more out about these phone calls. And I tell you, I cannot find anything. It's weird. Like, every everything that you see was just, it was a man, heavy breathing, saying inappropriate things over and over. Okay, So there's no information about it, but it seems to be a really important step in the story. Janelle does say she remembers Susie said once that she had been getting prank calls. So just figures at the time, maybe that was what that was. So Janelle and her boyfriend leave. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like, (laughs) again... House, abandoned, can't find your friend, white noise on the TV. Your boyfriend's picking up the house. Cinnamon's just walking around like he's scared shitless. The phone rings. It's a weird man. He calls again. You're, so they just leave. Okay, honestly, I'd do the same thing. And again, it's 1992, 1992, there's no cell phones. So you're just going to have to get in your car and go try and find somebody. Whoever you're looking for, that's how you're going to find them. Janice Stacy's mom after not hearing from Stacy, calls Janelle's house because remember she called mom said we're not gonna go to the hotel we're just gonna go to our friend Janelle's and hang out there she hadn't heard from her and Janelle's like well they said they were gonna they said they're going actually to Susie's house and okay, from experience, I'm just going to tell you to let your mom know what you're doing. Okay, if plans change or if you're anywhere, you didn't tell your parents you were really going to be, just tell them. I promise it will save them the heart attack if they try to reach you. And it will save you years of regret for almost giving your mom the heart attack. Janice, hearing this, is upset. But Janice is like, okay, graduation, grad graduation night I guess I get it she doesn't try to connect with Stacy again until seven hours later she calls Cheryl's house where she was told she would be no answer so she goes to the house doors unlocked she goes in again I mean (laughs) okay doors unlocked let's go in and tidy up Janelle and her boyfriend just come back after they didn't find the girls at the water park and again they see the purses and all the things you would normally take all of the purses are together in a pile on the floor janice thinks this is weird of all the things happening in the story she thinks it's weird that all of the purses are in a pile on the floor and nothing's missing out of them okay janice so she calls the police then her husband and tells him to come over while they wait for the police she sees that there's a message on the answering machine so she plays it hoping it's a message from the girls again it's a man heavy breathing talking about sex i guess i don't know what he was saying but it was weird the answering machine automatically deletes messages once you listen to them It's 1992. So there is no way for police to listen to this message. No way to try to get a voice description or anything. It's just gone. Not only has Janelle's boyfriend swept up the glass for them. Very sweet. Tidied up the house after he walked in uninvited because the door was unlocked. And mom has deleted the message. It's just a mess. People had been in and out. Neighbors were coming over, but only figuratively. Thanks to Janelle's boyfriend. So, with not much to go on, police say we will file the missing, we will file the missing persons report, and we'll start looking into it tomorrow. Tomorrow. What did they say? It's five p.m. We're not working anymore. We're off the clock. Okay. We're out. See you tomorrow. I will say for clarity, also. If I didn't mention before, the bed had been slept in and makeup wipes were left around. So the girls did make it to the house that night and apparently didn't walk into a dangerous situation. They were chilling for a little bit. And, you know, if you're drinking and you go home with your friend and you're 19 again, you're, you know, just going into the bedroom, taking off, taking off your (laughs) clothes, changing into clothes and... Then you get your makeup wipe and you rub it off and you're probably laying in bed already and then you just throw it in the floor. That's kind of what it was like. So police also found money, jewelry, and the car keys in the person. So in the, (laughs) in the purses. So it doesn't look like a robbery and money is like $900 they found. It wasn't like, and mom, Cheryl's cigs were there and she was a big old smoker and would not have left wasting a whole pack of smokes. Okay. Also, can someone check on Cinnamon? So police had gone home. Meanwhile, Stacy's mom, being a boss-ass independent woman, takes her pictures from that day's graduation, goes to Kinko's, 1992, and puts together a missing persons flyer. This is me. If you're not going to help me, I'm going to start doing shit myself. I guess after seeing the flyer, a waitress at a local diner says that she served all three women somewhere between 1 to 3 a.m. So just three of the women, three, the three women, (laughs) no one else with them goes to a diner 1 to 3 a.m. So police end up trying to look into the girl's history, trying to figure out who else could they be with, where else could they be. And They find out that Susie had been dating bad boy Dustin. He had recently been arrested for, listen to this, robbing graves. They were looking for gold fillings from teeth to sell. Is that a thing? Not only, they were also taking the skulls and putting them around parks as like a sick fucking joke, him and his friends. Anyway, that's why he was arrested. So Susie broke up with him. She had kinda turned him in too, at least gave a statement to police and was supposed to testify against him and what they're calling his gang. He was running around doing this with <laughs> when they went to trial. So red flag. Police question Dustin and the gang and they pass polygraphs. And with no other evidence, they let them go. But none of them had a real solid alibi. But, like, that's the last you're going to hear from them. And I don't really know why. I don't know what their alibi was. It checked out, but it wasn't, like, secure. Which I feel like isn't a fucking alibi. <laughs> I feel like there was a huge motive there also. He and his friends knew that she was testifying against them, that she kind of ratted them out. A theory I have heard, which makes a little sense, is that this was a group of young boys, and it would be hard to imagine a whole group of boys keeping this kind of secret for this long. So they couldn't have done it, or else one of them would have spilled already, basically. I don't know. I don't know if I like that. So we have Bart Streeter, who was also a person of interest for a minute. He was Susie's older brother, kind of the black sheep of the family. The family had wanted to try to reconnect after a tumultuous relationship. Bart got sober, got a job, and Susie actually moved in with him for a little bit to try to further the reconnect. This didn't last long, though, after he started drinking again and she moved out. Police bring Bart in, and he said he was drunk out a neighbors, wasty pants, but went home at 11 and passed out. No witnesses, so police ask for Polly. He passes with, quote, flying colors. There's no other evidence, so again, they had to let him go. It is hotter than shit in here, I'll tell you that. A couple days after the disappearance, a lead comes in from an older neighbor woman who would sit on her patio just browsing the neighborhood, and she knew when things were off. And we should all be like this. Pay attention to detail, people. Stay focused on what might be different around you, because it might come in handy later. I'm like that. I notice every thing And I think it's because it well it got a little out of hand for a while because I was <laughs> you know I love true crime, okay, and I've just sometimes when that's all you listen to, like on the way to work, a lot I listen to true crime podcasts. <laughs> Are we going back to first episode? Okay, I'm just saying that after um a few days of binging true crime or something like that, I'm like. <gasps> Who's that? Why are they walking on the road? Why are they walking down my street? I never see them walk down my street, which is okay. It's just a good way to be, okay. Be on the lookout. people notice things <sighs> so neighbor woman says that she had seen a strange greenish van that was out of place around six thirty or seven a m There was a young blonde woman driving, and she seemed stressed or bothered, definitely not happy. And it seemed weird. She heard a male voice in the van aggressively talking to the driver saying, don't do anything stupid. I'm confused about how she could have heard that, but she seems real sure of herself. Neighbor lady said she didn't report until she heard of the missing women. And then after seeing pictures, she thinks that the blonde driver would have been Susie. No description of the man aggressively yelling in the back, but a good description of the van. Police like this information and they go on a search for anyone with a match to the van. They do find a van similar to the description. They park it on the freaking police station yard with a sign that says, have you seen this van? It's 1992, but at least they're trying. Okay, good tips on the van, but they're all like a different color and it wasn't going anywhere. After six months, there's no leads. It's Christmas Eve, 1992, and America's Most Wanted episode airs about these women, and they're calling it the case of the Springfield Three. The episode was sharing information and asking people to call in if they had any information. That night, a man calls saying he has info. They were trying to connect him to detectives, and during that time, the call was dropped. They're unable to trace it. It sounded promising. It sounded promising, but nothing ever came of that. Steven Garrison comes forward saying he knew what happened to Springfield 3, and he was going to share info with police if they gave him a plea bargain. He says he was at a party, drunky pants, and a man comes up to him confessing to killing the girls, and he shares info that had not been shared to the public. So he knew things that only police knew. He also says he knows where they're buried and he takes police to a property. Okay, this was the same location to an unrelated case from 1990 where two women had gone missing. Um, They put a gag order on Stephen for what they found when he took them out there and police just straight up won't answer questions about it. Stephen had been in prison for a 40-year-old sentence for kidnapping a girl and he wanted the bargain of course so maybe he just guessed i don't know uh but nothing ever came from that um a little later a tip comes in from florida saying robert cox could have been responsible he had moved to springfield right before they went missing the women and he worked at the same dealership as Susie's dad he had an alibi but police don't believe it But they don't have any other evidence, so they let him go. Now it's 1995. Robert's arrested for robbery. So let's swing back to um, them taking Robert in for questioning for the our 3 missing women. He had a girlfriend at the time who was his alibi for that night. She said that he was with her all night and there was no way that he could have went. So... He is arrested. It's 1995 um, for armed, aggravated robbery, armed robbery, something. He was robbing some shit. So they um, find out that he's not with the girl that he was with. So they're like, let's call her back in, see if her story's any different. And it sure fucking is. She takes back the alibi from the night of, from the night Susie, Cheryl and Stacy went missing. She says that she lied to police and he wasn't with her that night. So they go to question him and he denies it, but later a reporter interviewing Robert asks if he knows about the Springfield Three. He says he knows they're dead. Police, once again, go to question him. He says he cannot tell them any specifics, but yeah, he knows they're dead. There's a chance here that he was just being um, like a piece of shit man. Well, he is a piece of shit man, but you know, what's the word? like arrogant he's like well of course they're dead i know that you should know that like they've been missing for so long if no one's found them then they're dead and meaning it that way or he could mean that he knows because he did it so robert is still considered a person of interest but there's no evidence so he's still you know no charges for our missing girls After five years, the police have to stop actively working on the case, and the women are legally declared deceased. We're going to speed up to 2007 and join journalist Kathy, who claims to be a psychic, and she saw that the women had been buried under a parking garage. In 1992, it hadn't been built yet, so police say, okay, we're not going to tear all that up, duh. So she hires an engineer who digs up stuff. I don't know what to call him. He's the same person, though, that um, dug up the foundation and stuff that had fallen at 9-11 at the Twin Towers. And anyway, she hires him to come to the parking garage where the women are supposedly buried from her um, vision. And he says that it looks like (laughs) that's what you see like when you're going over old graves. The garage was built a year after the girls go missing. So police are like, well, they should have come up, you know, during excavation, during the build and all that stuff. And they say that the radar scans are not enough to dig up the garage. So journalist Kathy just kind of stops looking into it okay so a little after this kathy is interviewed she says that she thinks she knows what happened to the three women she gets real tense the interviewer is pressing her and she says that she's not going to talk about it and that she's actually been advised to leave the case alone she says that she knows who is responsible but she's not going to talk about it until it gets solved Okay, I don't know if this is for attention or you don't want to feel stupid because you acted like a psychic. And she's like, no, I really did see it. I just can't tell you what I know. But the police feel like she's bullshit. Um, But still, like, dig up the fucking parking garage. What's your problem? It's a parking garage. There's the radar images. There's the psychic. Take her fucking word for it. I don't know. You haven't found them anywhere else. So why don't you just try it? Um, in 2002, there was a lead on a van. Police look into it and, the, and they have um, search dogs and the dogs do find some bones, but they were said to be too old to belong to the women. So whose fucking bones are those? And then in 2003, a lead takes police to a farm and they find blood in a piece of a vehicle that could have been the van. It was sent off to lab, but they both came back inconclusive. Can you just dig up the garage? So, I don't know. We're just kind of left, um, with nothing. We don't know who did it. I don't know where these three women are. You don't just disappear off the face of the earth. They had no reason to. The girls had just graduated. They were going to the water park, for God's sake, the next day. That sounds so fun. They wouldn't have left. Cheryl wouldn't have left her pack of cigs, and she damn sure wouldn't have left cinnamon. The bad boy ex-boyfriend... Dustin did have motive but I don't know. I think it was Robert Cox. I need to talk to his girlfriend more. Can we get more information from the ex-girlfriend? What was he like? Does she think that he could have been a killer? What did he tell her that he was doing that night? You weren't with him. I don't 100% feel like polygraphs are accurate and I'm pretty sure they can't be used in court anyway but... Cheryl LeVette was 42 years old, Susie Streeter was 19 years old, and Stacy McCall was 18 years old when they disappeared. You're beautiful, and I love you.